Hello and welcome to the Courage to Be podcast, where we explore how to raise your game, lean into discomfort and have more impact and purpose. I am your host, Sinead Millard. Hello and welcome to the final conversation of season two of the Courage to Be podcast. This week, my guest is Patricia Lindo, who is the founder and CEO at Style Incorporated. So Style Incorporated is a niche executive headhunting agency focused on the luxury fashion and design industry. Um, But always today, we take a step back and look at Patricia's earlier years, in particular leaving Sheffield at a very young age, moving to London um, to pursue a career in fashion. Patricia talks about the many experiences she had in a very pressurised and competitive environment and how that has shaped the work that she does today with Style Inc. But that's all for me. I will hand you over to Patricia. Pat, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure. Pat, we first met at the Bizarre Summit, which took place at the end of last year. And I was immediately drawn by your energy the stories that you told with character, meaning and depth and so much so that I wanted to invite you on to the Courage to Be show to explore those stories a little bit more. Yeah, there was something about what you said to me at that particular summit that just really stuck with me. And I think it's worth taking a step back and going back to your early years. You were born and raised in Sheffield and your mum, I believe, was quite the influence so if we could start there, it would be wonderful. Um, I was, um, of course, born in Sheffield and um, of Jamaican heritage. My mother came over in the 60s um, and uh, we were very much uh, alone for for the first, I think, four years of my life. But um, um, I grew up in a very strong sort of um, community, West Indian community, where we all sort of supported each other. But my mother from early on always gave me a sense of being um, proud of who you are and where you're coming from. And also, you know, she used to say to me, like, you know, if I was walking on the road, hold your head up, you know, walk straight and be proud of who you are. Yeah, so I think um, from an early age, I became very kind of uh, assured of myself and independent. I went to a Catholic school, um, both junior and senior, and um, decided sort of at the age of 15, after having a conversation with a friend, of the family um, to go on and um, study fashion. I went to college, I did four years of fashion design and I really loved it. It it was me, you know, I had a strong sense of who I loved. You know, I loved Yves Saint Laurent. I used to follow all the collections, all the runway shows and it was just amazing and then I decided okay where do I go from here so it was either go to New York or move to London and I decided 
London was probably the easier option, less complicated, straightforward. And I moved to London, uh, stayed with a friend of the family initially. But um, fr from there, I sort of gathered myself, you know, I loved designers. So Saint Laurent had a store, so I was always at the Saint Laurent shop. And I used to try and find something to buy that I could afford. And um, I used to buy bits of jewellery because that was what I could afford at the time. But I always remember going in and look at the tailoring and, and uh, things like that. So I, initially I got a job with um, Browns in South Moulton Street, which at the time, I think was that, that was sort of 1984, 85, I believe, um, was the only store that really focused on designer brands. So people like Armani, um, uh, Sonia Riquel, uh, Claude Montana, um, Prada. So, you know, uh, I really got a sense of the industry, but it was mad. It was a mad time. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a world that I kind of never, never had experienced before. And certain people that you came across, it was like, oh my God, this was like a comedy show. That's what I used to describe it as a comedy show, actually. Yes, but um, a beautiful experience and um, that took me on, I, I did merchandising, also I used to pattern cut for some of the um, junior designers that used to come through Browns and um, um, I, I really loved doing that. Anyway, I decided after four years that I really wanted to experience something else and do something else, so I decided to uh, move on to uh, Valentino and I worked for uh, Liliana and uh, Peter Bergston who were the owners of Valentino because it was a franchise in those days um, in London and uh, I was a merchandiser so I did all the administration work for the store and that was interesting I met some interesting people I met the designers I really learned the business with Liliana, she had an amazing business head. She knew her um, clients and she tailor-made her buy. So when uh, we did the buying, um, she made sure that she bought and had sizes for the clients that she had in those days. And the focus was Americans and also um, Arabs. So if the Arab ladies, you know, they could probably fit into a jacket, but because Valentino in those days would not go up to, I don't think went beyond 44 or something, 46. So they were obviously bigger around the waist a lot of the times. Then we buy fabric and get a skirt made for them to go with the jacket. She was someone that thought outside the box. She just didn't sit with, right, this is all we have, this is what you buy. Yeah, she made it work. And that's where a lot of, I think, my business sense has come from, where there's got to be a solution. Every problem, there's a solution. And that's what I learned there. Yeah. So you really learned the business with Liliana and that seems really clear from the stories that you've told too. I love that idea that every problem has a solution. 
and um, how Liliana thought that through. Did you feel at any point in time that perhaps you had moved too far away from your creative flair? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, when I was there, I did a lot of administration work. Um, I helped a lot sort of behind the scenes, but I wasn't using my creative um, skills. And um, I then, after four years at Valentino, went on to work for Critzia, where I used to help with the buying. So we used to go to Milan twice a year. And that was a great experience. And, you know, again, I learned a lot about, say, business, how wholesale works, um, how, and that was sort of firsthand. But there was always something missing. And I realized when I was at Critzia that I was, I'm somebody, I'm very entrepreneurial. So, it was important for me to be working for myself. Interesting, actually. And in our little conversation before this um, interview, you did mention that the owner of Browns had also remarked upon the fact that he too could see within you the need to work for yourself. Is that correct? He saw me day in, day out, and he used to say, Pat, you will work for yourself. But he said, I tell you what, don't focus on the luxury industry. So I didn't really take on what he said because, well, I, I did take it on from a point that, I, yes, I have worked for myself, or I do work for myself, but I'm working within luxury because really that was what I knew and that's what I gravitated to, yeah. I've always gravitated to brands, you know, like I said, you know, Christian Lacroix and Yves Saint Laurent, he was one of the first to really use black models and uh, it was just amazing to see them coming down the catwalk it was it was amazing you know they brought another element to the shows and um, so I always gravitated to Saint Laurent but I realized that working in the high end of the at the, the top end of the market the roles were very limited as to what you could do so for me, it wasn't enough to be sort of assistant manager and go by in twice a year. I needed to do something for me. So that's something for you, Pat. That takes us nicely on to the company that you formed in 1997, today known as Style Incorporated or Style Inc., which is a niche executive headhunting agency that focuses primarily on the luxury fashion and design industry can you take us back and talk us through how that came about so styling was born through me um, finding a job with an american brand um, who would be classed as a high street brand today which completely moved me out of my comfort zone but i was area manager for for this company called Breckenridge and so they used to have concessions within uh, Harrods, um, Dickens and Jones, Selfridges and I used to cover those stores and by doing this I found out that um, temps were being used on the shop floor so they used to call up an agency, temporary temporary staff to do sales and I was like, oh, God, I've never heard of this. But they all used to complain about the quality. So I thought one day, God, this is what I'm going to do. 
So I thought, right, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up an agency. And a friend of mine worked for an office company and she was office manager. So I had the ability to use one of the rooms whenever I needed to um, recruit temps. And I'd said to my boss uh, at the time, I said, I'm going to set up an agency on the side. Do you mind? It will be, I'll use my days off to uh, do the work initially. And he said, no, Pat, go ahead. He was very entrepreneurial, Des. Yes. And then I was with a girlfriend one Sunday and we were sat in her kitchen and I said to her about the business, what I wanted to do. And we came and I said, oh, I need a name for the business. And we came up with style because it was sort of about fashion. And that sort of spoke about me as well as a person. Yes, I, I was always someone who loved to dress like in the latest fashion and you know and so she said why don't you call it style incorporated and that will incorporate um uh, all avenues of the of the business so it won't limit you to what you do i'm really looking forward to delving a little bit deeper into styling but i think at this moment in time just to pause and take a step back a lot seems to have happened throughout that time, you leaving Sheffield to go to London, various different roles, gaining different skills. If you think back and look back on that time, Pat, what supported you? What enabled you to move through the various different transitions you encountered? I, I believe um, when I look, if I look back now, um, definitely my faith, um, although my faith wasn't as strong as it is today, um, but it played an important part because I never really left behind the fact I was brought up as a Catholic and I always, you know, for me, I can go and sit in a church for five, ten minutes and I come out a new person. So I think at the age of 16, I stopped for about, I think, ten years, actually. I stopped because the priest had said something and I was like, okay, I don't agree with that. I'm off. <laughs> and, you know, although I was brought up where you had to go to church every Sunday, but then I got to 16 and I was doing my own thing. I decided, no. Then something happened. Um, after I'd moved to London, um, I was uh, sort of in a situation and I was uh, en route to um, meet a friend who uh, worked for a law firm. And um, walking on Vauxhall Bridge Road, I came across this shop and I thought, oh, what's that? And it was a shop with the huge rosary beads in the window and also a picture of like a monk or something. And I thought, oh, this. Anyway, me being me and being very curious, I decided to walk in and I went into the store and I said, oh, can you just tell me what this is about? And she said, oh, this is the Padre Pio store. And I was like, okay. And um, do you know anything about Padre? And I said, no, not at all. And Padre Pio was um, a stigmata. He had the stigmata uh, as a priest who had the wounds of Christ and they used to bleed all the time on his hands, on his feet, 
whatever. Anyway, I'd never heard of anything like this before. And so she said, um, you look a bit distressed. And I said, oh, yeah, I've got a few things going on at the moment. And she said, okay, I think go and sit in the corner. And there was a huge statue of Padre Pio. And she said, sit there with this glove. And he used to wear these gloves every day. And I'm the only one in England who has the gloves. And sit there. And I just sat there in the corner for about maybe five minutes. It did feel a bit longer, but I think five minutes tops. And I knew that the problems that I had or was facing at that time wouldn't be a problem anymore. And so I handed her back the gloves and I said, oh, thank you. Yeah. And, um, and I went back to work. I didn't actually go and see my friend. And my friend called me. She said, where are you? And I said, I don't need you. I don't need to see the lawyers. I know I'm going to be all right. Incredible story. Was it from that time on that you started to lean on your faith a little more? Absolutely. Because I saw in that time the power of my faith. Because when you go to school, you know, you just go along with it. Yes, I went to a Catholic school. But, you know, it's all very much kind of almost a ritual. It's not, you're not going deep. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> maybe other people are but I wasn't and um, it wasn't until that time that I realised the power of my faith now I'm not saying I practice it 100% you know certain parts I don't believe in however it's given me a certain certain support over the years and as I said to you earlier I can go into church and all my problems, I feel, have just vanished. I think for me, it's resetting. And because, you know, uh, the world I'm in, the business I'm in, it's fast. Yes. And you're constantly on the go to a point where sometimes you don't have time to stop and think. Whereas I think with my faith, having my faith going to church on a Sunday allows me to reset and stop even for that one hour and think right and start my week yes yeah? so my week starts on a Sunday in a way Sunday evening yeah so I put that intention out you know I start to write my list of what I want to accomplish for that week or what I need to do for the week so it kind of brings me back and I will say down to earth and especially the early days of having my business where I was caught up in this materialistic world. Yes, you need something there to keep you on course. And I'm not saying I was on course all the time. Because I, I believe there's a part of me which, yes, I used to go on a Sunday and reset. But then I used to go into that world and really submerge in that world, which in a way, you know, is not the real world. Mm, can you elaborate a little on that part? Y you know, used to, especially when I was working, when I was employed, you know, used to see people spending ridiculous amounts of money on clothes. You know, we used to be putting sales through at, at Valentino, 40K, 30K a time, yeah? Now, this is women just spending on clothes. So you get caught up in that and you think, 
spending 500 in the 80s, a thousand on a jacket is normal. Well, it's not. And when do you feel like that perspective shifted for you in terms of materialism? I would say about... Um, I think about maybe eight years ago. Yeah, when I started to work with my healer and um, I used to see her, say, once a month. And what drove you to work with this healer? One of my friends, she was a designer, she said, oh, Pat, I've, um, I've started seeing this healer. And I was like, oh, what's that about? And she sort of explained it, but didn't. Anyway, she said, you won't get an appointment straight away. You have to sort of go on a waiting list. So at the time, just me being curious and a bit nosy, I was like, oh, okay, fine. So... I'd sent an email uh, or I was introduced to her and she came back to me about two months later and said, oh, I have an appointment if you'd like to come. Anyway, so I went and um, I was like, oh God, I've never experienced anything like that. But she said to me, she said, it's going to take a lot of work because you've gone quite a far... you're far removed from who you really are. Yes. So the work for you was coming back Back to to my authentic self and being true and aligned to who Pat Lindo is. Yeah, and what did that work look like for you? I mean, Hila, she's very difficult to explain, but, you know, it was, you know, she, she... Every time I used to go and see her, she used to say to me, oh, Pat, you know, um, you know, a lot of things happen around your stomach. So, you know, if your stomach's not, if you're not aligned sort of there, then, you know, I lived on stress. Yes, and that, no two ways about it. But I used to think, oh, if I'm not stressed, I'm not on the right path or I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing, being productive. But what she made me realise that, no, that's not right. You you don't want to be living on stress because at some point that's going to take its toll on you, yes? And I used to go out, I used to be out four times a week at least. I was drinking a lot, you know, so I was quite toxic. And um, so it was clearing that, you know, we spend a lot of time clearing that, the mind as well, working on mindset and being true to who I am and where I was coming from you know at the end of the day I was from a working class background yeah we had the best of the best really you know my mother always made sure if we had a pair of shoes they were the best yes so I came from that but then at the same time I think Working with Browns and all these places, you kind of lost perspective of what reality really was. And that's where I think the work from my healer really um, came in. And as you started to change some of this behaviour path, did you notice the effects of that change? And I guess what I mean, you're in a particular industry and you're engaging in that industry as you see other people engage in that industry, whether that's through socialising um, spending money, drinking, whatever that may be, as you started 
to change your behavior, what were the effects of that change? Or did you notice a sense of loss as you started to change that behavior? I think, um, I mean, friends, I have a good, I don't have lots of friends, but the friends that I have are solid. Um, Also, what I found in the last year and a half that I've, for my next phase, I would say, I've drawn certain people towards me or certain people I'm drawn to who are much more maybe spiritual and um, I don't know, who look at life in, in not through this superficial sort of world. Yeah. So that's one change. Two, no, I don't miss buying clothes. I used to be buying a new piece of clothing, clothing like maybe once a month or something. I don't miss that. So, you know, and now I can look at clothes in an objective way, but I don't have to have it, yes, because I don't need it. And I believe I'm much more focused. By not having these things and being caught up in this world, you know, I love art. I get inspiration from going to a gallery, seeing an exhibition, um, just, you know, even being on the street. I'm more open as well to what I see around me. Yeah, so I see things as opposed to before, I think I was just boom, 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 going through, rush, 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 but not really taking things in. So it's made me much more, I don't know, you just, you're clearer and, and open. Nice, and you talk about focus path. It almost feels like there were certain areas of your life, be that the materialistic world, that started to dissolve away, so to speak and a shift in focus and if you were to put words on that new focus part what would that be my current focus i believe now is doing more sort of charitable work part of that is my purpose um took me a long time to find out what my purpose is but i think you know helping children from disadvantaged backgrounds in some shape or form and also bringing into my work, being, you know, when I'm working with people or talking to people, talking to them from a much more sort of listening, sympathetic background as opposed to, all right, okay, where can I put you? Yeah, I mean, I do still have an element of that, but I'm not so ruthless in, okay, right, you're brilliant, you're going here, yes? I'm looking at, right, what does the candidate want? I like that. So it's almost like a deeper relationship that you have with the candidates that you place in various different roles through Starlink. And I think that takes us nicely to the topic of creatives, which I know from our conversation earlier is something that brings you joy. So the work that you do with young creatives and very often placing them in their very first role within a very competitive industry but there was definitely a joy and an energy um, in your voice as you spoke about this work can you elaborate on this a little bit I don't know why but I love speaking with creatives and maybe because it's taking me back to where I started yes and the passion that you feel coming from creatives be it furniture be it fashion you know 
they love and they feel what they do. I love this. They feel what they do. And as as it relates to styling, Pat, and the joy and the meaning that you get from working with these creatives, how has this shifted the trajectory in which Stylink is going in or perhaps as you look forward to the next chapter what does that look like for Stylink? It's it's I I see uh, our next chapter one where we give a lot of support and you know mental health is key on everyone's sort of lips at the moment but I don't want to talk I don't want to talk about in the sense of mental health but I feel that the industry and I don't believe a lot of people really know this or understand how pressurized it is you know they're having to do four or five collections a year um, whereas before it was like two collections so you know a lot of them are on this treadmill and it's very easy to kind of burn out and I see a need now and not just within fashion across board really where companies, individuals, need someone or would benefit from someone who they could speak with, yes? Like I had my healer, yes? In early, so I used to go and see him maybe once a month. Now, without giving too much away, but, you know, having that support maybe from a business coach or, I don't know, a life coach who's on hand to come and speak with individuals, yes, within corporate, non-corporate environment and give them uh, the level of support that they need to get through maybe the workload, yeah, that they have. So I reset by going to church maybe once a week or in the mornings and maybe that's what their reset or I'm going to see my healer but maybe that's what their reset button would be is to have someone on hand who they can go and speak to you know I spoke to um, a candidate recently lovely girl I think she was early 30s and she'd worked for one of the big brands for about four or five years. Jumped and went to another house, fashion house, and not experience, not having a good experience at all. And that was from day one. However, you know, very difficult to move because you know after you you know you're someone who's quite stable within your sort of working environment and you spend five years then you know to to move somewhere after eight months you want to jump ship it's not so easy and it kind of also messes up your cv a bit so you know when i used to speak to her after work in the evenings because you know, she's working until, what, six, seven o'clock at night, so then we didn't speak until eight o'clock. She's always sounded like she was on someone who was either having a nervous breakdown or, like, at the lowest you could be. And I was like, you know, you've got to 
okay, so you don't want to move now. So how can you work through these difficult times? But there's got to be a way of you releasing this pressure because if you don't, it's just not going to end well. Absolutely. And not having experience of fashion industry firsthand, I can hear from your stories and from the stories of others. It's a an industry that comes with a lot of pressure and a lot of competition. So hearing your intention and your genuine energy to support in particular young creatives inter- entering into that industry is incredibly inspiring um, and one I'd like to keep in touch on. But for now, Pat, um, I'll start to wrap up. We could speak all day and we will talk a little more over lunch. But as you look forward, um, what do you see go, you know, for the next five years, decade? What what comes up for you? I think the next decade for me is somehow incorporating the spirituality that I've gained in somehow into my business I think Um, and that may come through supporting individuals I'm not sure but that's what I see thank you so much for listening if there's something that you've heard in this episode that has resonated with you or perhaps you think it could benefit someone else then please do share this link or start the conversation If you haven't done so already, click on the subscribe button in your listening app. And as always, I really value your feedback. So please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And for more information, full show notes, links and resources, you can pop over to my website, SineadMillard.com. See you next time back here on The Courage To Be.